Well, good morning again. Please turn with me to Mark's Gospel. We're continuing in Mark chapter 1. The last few weeks we've got to see Jesus overcome Satan, and temptation in the wilderness. We've seen before that the baptism of Jesus, the declaration from heaven from the Father and the Holy Spirit descending on him. Last time we saw Jesus come and proclaim the nearness of the kingdom, and that the king was at hand. We saw that the kingdom was at hand because the king had come, and we saw him call his first disciples. Today we're going to continue reading in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. Read down through verse 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Jesus, you have all authority. When you came into this world, you astonished crowds. Naturally, your fame spread, Lord, and yet that's not even a scratch on what you deserve. Lord, one day you will receive the praise that you are due. And we pray that you would help us this morning, that we would so honor you and so respect you in our hearts this morning, that that would be in keeping with the praise that you will receive for all eternity, Lord. We do long to join that chorus in the end we pray that you would help us to be people who listen to you today. Father, we do thank you for sending your son. The definition of love that he came and laid his life down for us. God, we bless you and thank you. Help us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a relatively short story. We can ask every time we read some of this gospel or any book, what, what's the point of it? What would the Holy Spirit guiding this author want us to take from this part of Scripture? What would he have for us here? I think one of the key things that we should take from this is we're following along in Mark's Gospel and seeing what Mark is telling us about this Jesus. One of the key things that we should take from this would be the call to listen to Jesus. Pretty simple. 
Listen to Jesus. Why? Because his words have authority and power. And we'll look as well at the kind of response that his words bring as we look at what we see in those who heard him that morning. Let's look in verse 21 and 22. Uh, We can see that Jesus' words have authority. It says here that uh, they went into Capernaum. Who's the they here? This is certainly Jesus. Included with him are these four disciples that he's called. Uh, You've got Peter and Andrew, their brothers, and you've got John and James and their brothers. They were fishermen in the boat, and Jesus called them, and they left everything and followed him. They heard his words, they listened, they followed him, and they go into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is their hometown. Uh, It's the, the place that they have been, and Capernaum even becomes a hometown for Jesus. We can see that in Mark's gospel, Chapter 2, just a little bit farther on here. And when he returned, this is verse 1 of chapter 2, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. It says that he's at home in Capernaum. Now we know that the hometown of Jesus is Nazareth, right? Uh, Well, that's true. Uh, But this becomes something of a, a base of operations for Jesus as he's in the northern area of Galilee. And uh, we might think about the important cities in Jesus' life. And of course, the first that should come to mind would be Jerusalem. So much of his work is centered in Jerusalem. What he does, even in bringing us salvation, uh, Jerusalem is key to that. Jerusalem will be even key to uh, the future reigning Christ. And so rightly, Jerusalem is a, is a big deal. And this season of year, of course, we think of Bethlehem, O little town of Bethlehem. Uh, that's the city of David, the city that Jesus is born in. I don't think we often think of Capernaum as a very important city in the ministry of Jesus. I don't know that in a quiz we would fill that in for the blank for important cities, but it actually is a pretty important city in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, the city, the name Capernaum, Uh, Literally, in Hebrew, means the city of Nahum, referring, I think, to Nahum the prophet. Uh, You can hear that in the Nahum of Capernaum. And uh, it was a city that's situated on the north side of the the Sea of Galilee. If you'll remember, there's the Jordan River on the east side of Israel. Of course, there's territory east of that. Um, The north of the Jordan River, you've got the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of shaped like a wonky-shaped egg, maybe, and it's, it's in the north. The Jordan River goes out the south, and it empties out into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead because it's salt. It's like the saltiest place, body of water on earth. Nothing can live in it. The Sea of Galilee is not technically a sea. It's actually a fresh water body of water, and it's got fish in it. It it's becomes an important Part, the, the fish that were taken out of the Sea of Galilee were shipped all over the, the area, down to Egypt and, and beyond. So we've got the fishermen fishing here. Uh, uh, Capernaum is just on a little bit on the northwest side. There's an important trade route that goes through it. Um, and all of that might be interesting, it might not. Um, but it's important because Jesus does tons of miracles here. Uh, the Gospels report 
Jesus uh, staying in this area and the cities that are by it and doing miracle after miracle here. One of the striking things about it is that as, as many miracles as Jesus does here in this area, in this specific city, some of which we'll see in Mark's gospel here, most people don't believe him. It, it's shocking that in some ways that one of the places that sees the most of his signs and his glory, they don't respond. They, they do respond in ways that are somewhat encouraging, but not everybody does. Uh, in fact, the majority doesn't. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 20 and following, says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. He denounces the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on, that day, on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now those are shocking words, that the, the city of Capernaum would be compared to Sodom. And had they seen the works that Jesus did, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah would be around to this day, Jesus says. The city of Capernaum uh, got to behold incredible works from the Lord Jesus. Uh, and we'll, we'll continue to see this city and the response there. Uh, but we see here Jesus enters into Capernaum and he goes into the synagogue and his teaching. This is on the Sabbath. This would be a Saturday. Jesus enters into the synagogue. The word synagogue simply means gathering. It's the gathering of uh, the Jewish people here, uh, there were not, uh, you know, there's one temple, it's in Jerusalem, that's where the sacrifices take place, uh, but when Israel is deported all over the area, uh, back from the Old Testament and then in between the Testaments, uh, these synagogues spring up and the requirement was you'd have to have 10 males who were at least 13 years of age and if you had that big of a gathering, you could have a synagogue. It'd be a place where there was moral instruction. Uh, the people were to be edified there. Again, it wasn't the temple. There were no sacrifices there. But it was a time for teaching from the Torah. And Jesus comes in, and he is accepted as a teacher. Uh, he, he comes, and they, they uh, accept him to teach. And so he begins to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And one of the striking things is, uh, you know, Mark presents so much of Jesus' actions. doesn't always go into detail on what Jesus teaches and says. He shows us more of who Jesus is by what he does. And even here, uh, we're, we're told about his teaching. Now, we're not told here what he teaches, just simply that he teaches. But what we see is the response to his teaching. Uh, the, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Mark, in his way, tells us that Jesus teaches with authority. And that's contrasted to the scribes. He's not teaching as the scribes. Now, who are the scribes? Uh, the scribes were the experts in the law. They weren't kind of knuckleheads who somehow got their way 
into the teaching field, they were smart. They knew what they were doing. They, they understood the Torah uh, very, very well. And we see the scribes in a negative light in the New Testament, rightly, uh, but they, they did have a good legacy prior to the New Testament times. They were important for keeping the Torah before uh, the people of Israel. The, there are scribes in David's time. Uh, they, they have the name scribes, but those are more like secretaries. They're keeping uh, information. They're, they're keeping accounts. Different than the, the first scribe that we meet of this sort um, in the Old Testament, uh, we find Ezra the scribe in Ezra chapter 7. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen if you'd rather. Uh, Ezra chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, we get a, the, his lineage here. goes back to, pretty important here, son of Mariah, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua. Now, we haven't heard of any of those people probably too much unless we were reading this. Son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Okay, pretty important names now as we get back up the line. Ezra is in the line of the priests. He is... The son of, then the son of Ere, the chief priest, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, the Lord, and the, uh, excuse me, the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, had given, excuse me, he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was, his God was on him. Down in verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. No. Ezra is presented as a man who is uh, after God and after his word, understanding it, to apply it in his own life, and then to teach it beyond. Uh, and, and Ezra has a good effect on Israel. But as the tradition of the scribes went on, uh, there was this accumulation uh, of this, this body of authority. So that in the time of Jesus, uh, the scribes are uh, teaching in a way that it's something like a quilt of authority citations. This, this elder and this rabbi and uh, this individual who has authority in Israel who's passed on. And, and their teaching, from what I understand, came as something of a patchwork of these citations. And, and this is how we keep the Torah. And this is how we do this and that. Um, and it... It had all sorts of uh, the tradition of the elders caked onto it um, to the point that, as we see in Mark chapter 7, it actually causes them to deviate from the law of Moses itself. Jesus doesn't come in and teach like them. He comes in and he teaches with authority. He speaks with authority. Can you imagine what it would have been like to listen to a sermon of Jesus? Just think about that for a minute. What if you got to be there on that Saturday and hear Jesus preach and teach? He's expounding God's word as God's son. He is expounding, he's explaining, he's teaching God's word in scripture as God's word incarnate. 
think he might have had some insight into the word. I think he would have had an ability to speak with authority from the scriptures. You can be sure that Jesus never misunderstood or misinterpreted or misapplied the scriptures. What would it have been like to hear him preach and teach? Well, I think that if the Spirit of God was working in us, we would probably be cut to the heart. I have to imagine he uh, knew how to get to the heart of the matter. He could apply it directly to our hearts. Again, at this point, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus teaches. He makes no mention of the actual content of what he's teaching here. Now, it's around this part of the gospel, of the message. It's right around this time that Jesus is telling the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, you got Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Brian prayed from the Beatitudes this morning. It's in there. Mark doesn't include it. Uh, even Luke, later we call the Sermon on the Plain, a later time of teaching. Probably Jesus is teaching the same content in different places. Uh, and, and Luke includes something similar later on. Not Mark, he doesn't include that. Uh, but what Mark tells us, instead of telling us what Jesus is teaching at this point, he, he tells us that Jesus taught as one who had authority. And Mark tells us the response of the people. They are astonished at his teaching. They are astonished at the authority he possessed in his teaching. Last week we saw the king of the kingdom preaching and calling his first disciples. Now we see the king of that kingdom speaking with authority, the authority of a king. And does he simply say a bunch of impressive words? Is he simply wowing a crowd and he's a great rhetorician and he knows how to turn a phrase? No. Mark goes on to tell us even more. Verse 23 says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So there's a confrontation. As Jesus is teaching, and people are astonished at his teaching, he is dramatically interrupted. There's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue who then confronts Jesus. Again, can you imagine being there that morning? Uh, this isn't exactly the planned order of service, right? Uh, th this, is, this, is, this is strange. Uh, you know, and you wonder, how long had this man been there? Perhaps he had turned up on one Saturday, this particular Saturday, had wandered in from the streets and didn't know anybody there. I don't know. It's possible that this man instead had been there for a long time. Maybe he had been there for a year. Maybe more. Did he interrupt previously in the service with uh, the reading of the Torah? Did he uh, fight back and the elders didn't know what to do? Or was he quiet? Maybe there wasn't anything in that synagogue service from week to week that ever ruffled his feathers up. We don't know. There's a lot that we don't know here, but in this moment, he's crying out. First, we've seen then this demon confronts Jesus. Now, it's interesting, he knows who Jesus is. He even knows where Jesus comes from. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Then he says, what have you to do with us? Now, in the Greek, uh, it's literally, what is this to you and us? 
This is a phrase that comes up in the New Testament. It's from the, the Hebrew, uh, the background to it. And it's a very confrontational kind of phrase. This is a, uh, a power struggle here. There's a confrontation taking place. Uh, the demon is confronting Jesus. And he says, have you come to destroy us? It's very possible that this demon is scared out of his wits. Whatever is going on, it's clear that uh, he is opposing Jesus. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, he recognizes who Jesus is. I have to imagine it was a, a traumatic experience for this demon who's called an unclean spirit to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. Darkness confronts light. Unclean confronts the holy. Evil confronts infinite goodness. It was a rough morning for that demon. The demon has disrupted the service. He's confronted Jesus. Now, I have to imagine this was quite the spectacle that Saturday morning. It probably would have been uh, a terrifying event. Now, up to this point, the people listening, they've been astonished at the, the teaching of Jesus. Now, this is all broke out. They, they've got to be watching. What's going to happen now? Well, in response, Jesus confronts the demon. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus has a very straightforward response. Uh, he rebukes him, tells him to be silent and come out of him. Uh, it's striking. Uh, this, is, this response from Jesus, it's simple, it's to the point. Uh, I have to imagine the onlookers were on the edge of their seat, wondering what's going to happen. And, and Jesus just responds in the moment. And uh, I have to imagine again that they're, they're waiting to see what happens. What happens next? You know, maybe they're eyeing the door. They're, they, they know that the situation can continue to get uglier by the moment. Uh, how will the demon respond? See then that the demon has to obey the voice of Jesus. It says in verse 26, And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. This unclean spirit has no choice. He has been commanded to go, and he must obey. We remember, Jesus has already been confronted by Satan in the wilderness. The prince of darkness himself has has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus, and Jesus has been victorious. He's not given in to the temptation of the devil. He has succeeded where Adam failed, and now Jesus is confronted by one of Satan's underlings, and th there's no contest. He's subdued quickly. Now he goes out kicking and screaming, but he goes out. Uh, Luke 4.35, telling this same account, says that he came out and left him unharmed. Uh, Jesus expels the demon and delivers the man whole. Jesus' words not only have authority in his teaching, but his words have power 
in his commands. And, and what is the response then? As this whole episode has played out, how do the people respond? Verse 27, 28, says, they were all amazed so that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Having heard his teaching, watch this unfold, uh, they are astounded. They are amazed. They're absolutely astonished by what they have seen. Again, this isn't the Saturday morning service they were expecting. Jesus' words have come with authority and power, and they have brought about a response. The people are amazed. And beyond that, then, Jesus' fame begins to spread throughout this region, spreads throughout Galilee. People hear about this. Of course, that's the kind of news that's going to travel fast. And it begins to spread. What should our response be to the words of Jesus? As we hear what Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels, what should our response be? I think that it's right that we would be amazed. We should be amazed when we see who Jesus is, when we see what he teaches. It's appropriate to be amazed. It's appropriate to wonder. And we'll have an opportunity as Mark's Gospel unfolds to see more of the teaching of Jesus. It's right to be amazed. Uh, at the same time, I think that we need to be more than amazed. We see even in the, as the story unfolds for the residents of Capernaum, amazement wasn't the whole deal. They can be amazed for a moment, and then that can wear off. We want to be more than amazed when we hear the words of Jesus. We want to listen to the words of Jesus. This isn't the kind of listening that says, yeah, I hear you, Jesus. Rather, this is the kind of listening that says, yes, Lord. Again, Mark does not include the Sermon on the Mount, but I do want to read just from the end of it. As we think about the, the words and the teaching of Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, everyone, who, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall. <laughs> it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Do we take... The Sermon on the Mount seriously? Do we take the teachings of Jesus seriously? I want to go back even a couple pages from there and you think even some of the astounding things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 38 of chapter 5 and following, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I pull out that section of the Sermon on the Mount because I struggle with that. Some of the words of Jesus are straight up hard to hear. Now, maybe they're not hard to, to hear in the sense of hearing them read, but they're hard to listen to. They're, they're hard to live out. It's right for us to be amazed by Jesus and his authority and his teaching. We don't want to stop there. We don't simply want to stop with amazement. We want to take his words to heart. You know, further, we, we want to affirm who Jesus is. We want to defend who Jesus is. Uh, the demon's not wrong here. He's right. Jesus is the Holy One of God. But I tell you what, that didn't do anything for that demon. Uh, he might have believed it. James will say the demons even shudder in their belief. We want to be those who know who Jesus is and live in light of who he is. We want to live as those who have been bought with the precious blood of this Holy One of God. And, and what does that mean then for us as his people? Does that then get worked out in our lives? We want to hear the words of Jesus and, and take those words to heart. Now we can't do that in our own power. It's not about uh, just muscling up and, and doing the hard thing in our own strength. We can't live like Christ and according to his words apart from him. He's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to hunger for righteousness in us. And so we, we have to every day turn to God and ask for him to help us in this. Again, the sad reality is that for as, as amazed as these people are, they will receive a condemnation. We want to be more than amazed at Jesus. Uh, we want to listen to him, especially as we press on in this gospel. We want to hear what this Jesus says. Hear what the king says and heed his message. Well, if the men would prepare for communion and Elizabeth would come to play, let's go to prayer together.